So fittingly today, besides that, I want to start with a story about mother and child. It comes from the recent uh, mindfulness retreat that I was on. Teacher was telling a story about working with uh, a young mom whose child was experiencing a lot of uh, behavioral issues, a lot of acting out, a seven-year-old who was finding a lot of anger in response to some of the difficulties of the child's life. And the teacher said to the mom, well, perhaps the next time when your child starts to get into that froth, get into that place where the rage seems to be coming on, you can ask her to do just this. This. Do a little walking meditation. One, 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 two, one, two, three, all the way up to ten, and then in reverse order, all the way back down. Well, the child did this this one time when a problem seemed to be coming on and the anger seemed to be starting. At the end of it, she looked up at her mom. She said, Mommy, I don't know where my anger went. I don't know where my anger went. This was a big focus of the contemplative retreat that I was on, taking a look at the ways that practices like meditation can help us find greater freedom with afflictive emotions. And by afflictive emotions, I mean things like resentment and unhealed hurt and guilt and the kind of things that really seem to fester in us and hold grudges and make us clench at the very core of our being. Just like in that exercise, not time out as punishment, but time intentionally in so we can get in touch with what is really within our hearts. How we work with these afflictive emotions, resentment, guilt, unhealed hurt, the places where we seem damned up, gummed up inside. These make so much of a difference in our spiritual life, how we learn to work with, not oppose, but work with these difficult emotions. That's why today's song is all about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a way, not the way, but a key way that we can manifest our own innate capacity for healing and develop that wholeness that is already a part of our lives, that innate wholeness that we already are. Now, in many spiritual traditions, many religious traditions, you would not hear a clergy person talk about innate wholeness. You would hear many other traditions talk about perhaps our innate brokenness or innate sinfulness or even our innate depravity. But I have to tell you the way that I have learned that we are innately whole at our core is not through a book like Matthew Fox's wonderful work, Original Blessing, as opposed to Original Sin. But really the way that I know that we are innately whole at our core is through you. The hours, the hundreds of hours that you all have blessed me and allowed me to work with you at some of the most difficult points in your life through the means of pastoral counseling. I know that we are innately whole because our brokenness would not hurt so very much unless we were truly whole at the center of who we are. That's what the opening story today is all about. It is learning to give time and space for that wholeness, even for a seven-year-old on the midst of a rage, on the cusp of a rage, 
learning to give time and space for that wholeness within us to emerge and to be real and to reveal itself. Our society has become expert and is only getting more expert at shrinking time and space. Just look in what is in many of our pockets. This is an amazing tool for shrinking time and space, and I am so grateful for it. I am not giving it up, maybe for a week. For mindfulness retreat, but I'm not about to give this up. I like it. I like to shrink time and space. It makes me more effective, I think. The problem is, however, when we shrink all the time, the the outer landscape of our time and our space, it can have very injurious effects on our inner landscape with the things that need, require time and space. In a society of instant results and snap to decisions, sometimes it leaves us very little room and very little time to work with our difficult, afflictive emotions and our difficult thoughts. I mean, the song refers to this pride and competition won't fill these empty arms. The work they put between us doesn't keep us warm, will not keep us warm, cannot necessarily connect us. This is why I call today's message the other F word. Because actually the curse F word, I think we are much more likely to hear than we are to hear stories of authentic forgiveness. Life-changing, heart-emboldening forgiveness. We are much more likely to hear the curse F word than we are to hear or perhaps even sadly experience The F word that is a blessing in our lives. I mean, we hear stories sometimes, very high profile stories, like the story of Nickel Mines, the story of the Amish, that incredibly awful atrocity of children targeted for intentional murder by a depraved person. My response to this kind of story, when I hear that the Amish went out of their way to immediately forgive the gunman and surround themselves with the family, not wanting to treat his family as a scapegoat. They do not deserve anger, they said. They deserve love and forgiveness and compassion. These are inspiring stories. But also this story can operate in a subtle way as a form of spiritual masochism, like this. This... These Amish people can forgive a depraved gunman for murdering their children. And I can't forgive my sister for talking behind my back last Thanksgiving. What kind of spiritual idiot am I that I can't handle the small stuff and they can handle the big stuff? By the way, my sister probably will be listening to this at some point. So, Emily... We did not fight last year at Thanksgiving, and you did not talk about Hi, my back. I was using that just as an example. (laughs) See, sometimes we have to recognize it's our forgiveness, not someone else's. It's not a comparative, competitive game. That's how so many of the afflictive emotions begin, is by comparing ourselves to another's experience, not recognizing that it is our own inner experience that we must cultivate if we truly do want to connect. Real forgiveness cannot be forced. Real forgiveness, the kind that's a benefit to us, real benefit to us, cannot be imposed. There's a scene I recently saw, the movie Bully. I don't know how many of you have have seen it. Heart-rending, heart-rending story of bullied children. And there's a scene in which one of the bullied boys has to confront the kid who's been bullying him. And you see the school administrator, classic bureaucratic, non-individual responsibility-taking behavior. Like from the playbook, 
has the bullier hand put his hand out and say, I'm sorry, without any thought, without any time, without any space. And you can see the bullied kid writhing so uncomfortable because he hasn't had any time to be able to air what is really grieving him and the pain that he has suffered. It's actually disrespect to both the bullied child and the bullier to do that. Because the bully child has not had time to process whether he would even choose forgiveness. And the bully, the bullier has not had any time to actually see what it was that he did wrong. When forgiveness is really chosen from the inside, forgiveness is almost fantastically gracefully good for us if it's freely chosen if we can see that holding on to our old resentments and grudges from what other people may have done to us or our own guilt from what we have done to other people to recognize that these resentments and grudges and guilt are costing us they are costing us authentic connection to our lives because we are stuck somewhere in the past at the point of the injury when We refuse to allow ourselves to embrace the places within us that need forgiveness or ask for forgiveness and need healing. We are exactly like this character. We are exactly like Wiley E. Coyote. And I always forget is that Wiley E. E period as a separate middle name or is it all one name? I don't know. I don't know Looney Tunes well enough, I guess. And it's intentional that he is strapped to a rocket. He has this compulsion, this need to have to get the roadrunner, and he never does. All he ever does is blow himself to smithereens. It's exactly like the Buddha said, who said, when we cannot forgive, when we hold on to our resentments, when we nurse our grudges year after year after year, it is as if we have picked up a white hot rock and we intend to throw it at the object of our anger and of our resentments. Well, we may or may not hit our target, although probably like Wiley Coyote, we're just not going to do it and we're not going to be successful. But one thing is guaranteed. We will burn our own hands. Now, forgiveness is not necessarily restoration or reconciliation of relationships. Some relationships that maybe we are working on forgiveness with, they are relationships that should not be restored. It's not safe for us. It's not safe for the other person. The other person is not sufficiently apologetic for what they have done. It still does not mean that the work of forgiveness is not ours to do. One of the teachers at the retreat that I was on said at one point, the challenge in such situations is to recognize that sometimes we have to, for our own safety and for our own well-being, cut other people out of our lives, but learn to recognize that we do not have to cut that person out of our hearts. This is what it means in the song, even if, even if you don't love me anymore. This is what Reinhold Niebuhr, the great, perhaps the greatest Protestant progressive theologian of the 20th century, the man who it is attributed to that he wrote the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. What Reinhold Niebuhr meant when he said the final form of love is forgiveness. This is love beyond the feeling of love. This is love beyond the emotion of love. This is love that is generated 
in the Buddhist tradition, they talk about it as metta. In the Christian tradition, they talk about it as agape. This is the kind of love that affirms our inherent wholeness simply because we are alive. And when I say we, it's not just about the other person. It is also about affirming our own inherent wholeness, our own inherent worth. This is why forgiveness is not weakness. I think this is the core of why many people refuse to forgive or don't even want to work on forgiveness is it makes them feel as if they are weak. It makes us feel as if we are a sucker. It makes us feel as if we have been wronged twice. But in fact, forgiveness is significantly empowering. When we work on the hard work of forgiveness, we allow ourselves to evolve. We free ourselves. We allow ourselves to evolve beyond that point where the injury or the hurt or the pain has arrested us in the back the back of our lives, way in the past. In fact, the inability to forgive or to work on forgiveness is a recipe not for evolution but for extinction. Think about the Hatfields and the McCoys. Think about the Montagues and the Capulets eventually killing their own children because of their inability to let go of their grudges and resentments. To live in such a way is to follow the teachings of the great... Well, the late, at least, Jimmy Hoffa, who said, I do unto others as they do unto me, but worse. (laughs) That's the logic of the refusal to practice forgiveness. Forgiveness helps us break up the hard heart, hard ground. Nothing can grow in that tight, bald space like a fist unless we try to treat it with some space and some kindness. This is something I really understood in my in my body. I'm going to move this out to the side here so you can see me make a fool of myself Um, uh, on the the retreat. Now, it was about, you know, I told you seven hours last week of sitting meditation and another three hours of walking meditation and an hour and a half of yoga. Now, I really loved it all, but I especially loved the yoga time because it gave me some chance to work with the pain in my back that was omnipresent. And at one point, the yoga teacher, I was doing gentle yoga and then had us move into um, Excuse me. Like um, something called an inverted boat, which is like this. And like really hold it for a while. And I'm like, I'm, excuse me to get a little graphic. I'm like really pushing my pubic bone like down into the ground here and really trying to come up. And then he would ask this question. Where can you soften? (laughs) Where can you soften? And the thing is, I can. You can. Because so often I would recognize in this pose, I would bring my shoulders up and hunch my shoulders, but my shoulders don't need to be engaged here. They can soften. We can allow our bodies to soften, even when we're engaged at our core. As it is with the body, so it is true in the soul. See, when we're hurt or stressed or holding on to resentments, we can start to reflexively tense our hearts. We can start to reflexively tense what doesn't need to be tense, the parts that are not in pain. And so we end up paying our pain forward. We end up blaming other people, not the person who hurt us or the people who hurt us. Or we end up refusing the opportunity to authentically connect with the people who do mean us well and are invested in our well-being. That question, where can we soften? 
Where can you soften? Just check in with your own body right now. Check in with your own heart. Where can you soften? Where are you tense? Where are you seated like this? Where are you covered up? Where can you soften? Just like this ice cube is softening right now. You see, if you look in the middle of that ice cube, it is the iciest of the iciest. It is the most frozen of the frozen. But around the sides, it is already learning to flow. That is the question within ourselves with forgiveness, which is a process, which isn't just snap your fingers magic and it's done. It is learning to allow the places within us that are ready to start to be at ease, to be at ease, even when we are experiencing pain. This is a process that needs, deserves time and space. Forgiveness honors that evolving tension between feeling the pain and also allowing our aspiration to want to move to a place beyond it. This is where the song, I think, gets into remarkable theology. Some of the best theology I have ever heard trying to get down to the heart of the matter, thinking about it, thinking about forgiveness. You get the sense that Don Henley or whoever he was when he wrote this wasn't all the way there, but he saw the aspiration in front of him. The first step towards real forgiveness is our willingness. This is where we learn that there is a whole world of difference between these two phrases, which very often are conflated, letting it go and letting it be. As a society, we love to read stuff about letting it go. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. I grew up with a, uh, an, a distant aunt, a distant relative who was always letting it go. She called it venting. <laughs> maybe, maybe, well, maybe you're a recovering venter yourself. Who knows? Or maybe you're married to one or, or maybe you know one. It's all anonymous here. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to tell your story. You don't want to. The problem with this distant aunt, she was always venting. She was never vented. <laughs> she was just like breathing out the angry air and breathing it right back in. There was no catharsis. There was no letting go. I think perhaps if she could have had a different practice, letting it go is very active. I'm letting it go. I'm pushing it away. But simply to learn to let it be. To let ourselves be with what is, which sometimes include the non-rational, non-quote-unquote fixable place in which we experience our resentments and know they're there. And at the same time, allow ourselves to hold that aspiration. I would like to offer this up eventually. I would like to let it go eventually but simply to start with letting it be. This is the great alchemy of forgiveness, the mixture of our willingness, our choice, and also what may happen to us with the grace of time. I think ultimately forgiveness is like something that happens to us. It is that wholeness within us, that innate yearning that wants to be, that wants to restore wholeness. We can't make that wholeness. It already is us. Sometimes this wholeness brings about reconciliation. Sometimes it can bring restoration in relationships, sometimes even relationships where there's been real pain. Very often we think that the way that can come about is by the other person honestly acknowledging to us the harm that they have done to us or the harm that we have done to them. And sometimes that is really important. That is wonderful. I have done that numerous times in my life and it is liberating. 
But sometimes forgiveness isn't just about the open acknowledgement of the harm or the pain. Sometimes forgiveness requires us to see another person's light, not just their shadow. The senior teacher at the retreat that I was on is a woman named Tara Brock, who some of you may know about. And she is my favorite teacher when it comes to matters of what she calls radical acceptance and learning forgiveness and learning to soften and be strong simultaneously. She told a story during the retreat about a man that she went to college with many, many years ago. She's probably in her 50s or 60s now. So this is 30, 40 years ago. And it's an African-American fellow who she went to college with who she said at that point in her life was much more comfortable kind of behind the camera, snapping photos of other people's lives rather than kind of getting out there himself. He was kind of shy, kind of retiring, but really known as a a beautiful photographer. Years later, he got in touch with Tara Brock because he had gotten into contemplative practice and he knew that she was a teacher. He told her a story that he had married into an old, old Boston Brahmin Yankee family, like, you know, roots back all the way to the Mayflower, an Anglo family, a white family. And that while his wife and he had really no problems in their interracial, interethnic, intercultural relationship, it wasn't the same thing for the wife's mom. The wife's mom not intentionally racist, but racist nonetheless, was so concerned about the fear of them in this society that was hostile to interracial families that she kept on hammering year after year after year about all the ways that she was afraid for them, afraid for them. I mean, she would actually, she's the kind of person in talking to her son-in-law, she would kind of like talk past him or turn the body language away while talking to him, really almost refused to honor his presence. And at one point, this made the man's wife so angry that she said, I am willing to cut off relationship with my family for you because it is the wholeness of our relationship that matters the most. And he said, no, she's the only mom you're going to have. Let's try to keep the relationship up and going. Let's try to keep some semblance together. And unfortunately, her very thinly veiled hostility kept being expressed toward him over the years. One year at Christmas, he had a different idea to give her, his mother-in-law, as a gift. She gave him socks that were the wrong size. He had been kind of surreptitiously over the last year snapping photos of her. Photos of her when she seemed to be more at ease. And he presented these photos to his mother-in-law on Christmas morning. Beautiful packaging. She opened it up. And she was almost kind of startled by the person that she saw. The ease, the well-being that she had. And she turned to one photo. A photo of her with her head thrown back in joyful laughter. Holding one of her grandbabies in her arms. And she started sobbing, absolutely just naturally letting it go, no willfulness at all, and recognized that her son-in-law, who she had refused to see, had seen the truth of her. She understood the gift, and it helped to restore their relationship. That is the softening strength. Of forgiveness. The softening strength. 
can help to restore the ultimate connections between us. This is where the song is, for me, the absolute favorite. The flesh will go reek and the ashes will scatter. We are all mortal beings. We are all whole and weak. We are all vulnerable and strong. For all of us, there will be, if not these exact words, the same sentence at some point for all of us. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. At least for what is right here and right now, all of this is impermanent. That's where Don Henley gets it right. Really right. He allows the ultimate truth of impermanence of life to transform the intimate facts of our lives. I mean, this is the kind of thing, you know, when you go to a funeral or a new baby is born and you say, this is the truth of life. This is how I want to act every day. And then somehow we don't do it. We're not allowing ourselves to be transformed by the ultimate truths of life in the intimate facts of our lives. But today is another chance to start. I want to close with the dream that I had on retreat about breaking up the sometimes hardened ground of our hearts. In this dream, I was reaching into, I was wearing a hoodie, I was reaching into my front pockets trying to get some gum, and all I kept coming up with was these. The, the subconscious is a weird thing. I think it's because Tara Brock, Brock's candy hearts. But this is what I really think it was about. It was a silent retreat except for the teachers, almost all of us who were the retreatants, the students. We're almost entirely quiet, except for a few key times during the week. And when there's 50 of you seated hours upon hours upon hours in the same room with each other, I heard very few words. But there's one thing I heard a lot of, which is what some of you are doing right now. I heard a lot of crying. I heard a lot of that natural letting go. Sometimes I didn't hear it because I felt it on my own cheeks. So perhaps because of this, in this dream, I reached into my pockets and I kept pulling out candy heart after candy heart after candy heart after candy heart, except they weren't like the way they were packaged. They were all, all of them like this. They were all broken. And I kept searching in my pockets to try and find one heart that wasn't broken. I couldn't. And I remember in my dream, I got frustrated. And then because I was hungry, I did the only thing I could. I started eating all of the broken hearts. But here's the thing. They were the sweetest thing that I have ever tasted in my life. All of those broken hearts were the sweetest thing I have ever tasted. All of our broken hearts are still sweet, even if our pain is sour. We allow ourselves to get down to the heart of the matter in our lives. We know that our broken hearts never stopped being sweet. And that the final sentence upon our lives does not have to be a broken heart, but a whole heart and a heart that wants healing. May it be so for all of us today. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together.
O source of original wholeness, O divine depthlessness within us and connecting us each to the other. May we allow ourselves simply by letting it be to get in touch this day with our hurts, our harms, our hopes, and the places in which we can help. May we allow ourselves simply to be in touch and by touching, yes, even the brokenness, allow ourselves to know. Allow ourselves to know, as a great songwriter once said, that everything has a crack in it. That is how the light gets in. Today, even in our cracks, not in spite of, but because of, may we allow the light to shine in, to shine on, to shine around, and to walk in that light. Amen.